so marketing is in many ways the golfer on the drive, the professional golfer on the driving range. Sales is the professional golfer on the course. All right, welcome to this episode of the Black Line Podcast, Mike. I heard Doug. you got a baseball game today. I do. Who's who's playing? Because unfortunately, I know the Nats aren't playing. No, they 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 are not. My uh, my oldest son. You know, it's. I think you once told me, "Wait till you start wishing that for the days when it won't rain." I used to hate it when oh. it rained. <laughs> now I'm like, please oh. make it rain. Check in the rain oh. hour at two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, oh. man, I remember those days. Youth baseball. Um, you're like, wait, it would. The weather said it was going to rain today, damn it. Why isn't it raining? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never thought I could get tired of being on a baseball field, but it turned out that it, that it was possible. Is, is this the team that you're coaching, or are you just dad? Yeah, this is my, my oldest son's travel team. So. Is that the one you're coaching? I don't, I don't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm one of the assistants. That's Ripken League, right? Yes, ABL. So, so you get to uh, wear a full uniform, don't you? Only when you're playing in uh, in districts or states, but yes. Okay, then. It's, I forgot how tight those pants are. Man, I'll tell you what. There's nothing like putting on putting on a pair of baseball pants to realize how old you've gotten. Yep. Yeah, I, I uh, we we almost got into Ripken, and that was actually when if you played Ripken, they were like it was back when Ripken owned it, and yep. if it was a Ripken game, you were supposed to wear the uniform, and it's like you know there's just something that doesn't look right. Like when I coached college, obviously I was wearing the uniform and it, you know, wasn't different. But when you're, you know, coaching a bunch of eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, and, and you're wearing full uniform, it like really fed into like all the parent coaches who were, you know, who, who thought it was akin to professional baseball. I, I think right. half of them never got to wear the baseball uniform when they were younger. So like this was. Their so ex exact, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, it can be crazy. I'll tell you what, man, if, if we, if we, if, if these guys took their, their, their work life as seriously as they took their kids baseball season. Uh, They'd be a lot more successful. I, I, business I, would I, be flying. You, you hey. made a lot of comments to me that, it, that over the past two years have totally come true. I'm like, Oh, I should have listened. Yeah. Yeah, you were like, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe me. You're like, yeah, yeah, Doug, whatever. You're you're just a cynical bastard, right? So, uh, so hey, hey, to uh, to close the loop, um, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for any length of time, or if you listen to any of the back episodes, you know Mike and I have been talking about um, a, a wide variety of issues over the last, you know, couple of years around the economy and, and recession, et cetera. There was actually a really interesting piece of data that I saw yesterday. Um, and I'm, I'm surprised, not surprised that it hasn't made any real news, but, but the data was basically that um, the recession started in February. So the recession started before the shutdown. So everyone's, before the know, everyone's, attrib yeah. everyone's attributed the, 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 the recession to, oh, well, because we were, you know, because of the pandemic, et cetera. But actually the, the numbers showed that the recession actually started um, pre pandemic in the u.s so i just wanted to close the loop let everyone know that our prediction in fact did come true because i think it was about you know probably about 17 18 months earlier that we talked about it and we said in the next 12 to 18 months and uh and lo and behold so um with that let's get into fascinating but make sure you share that in the uh show 
show notes if uh, if you can find the article. Yes, I will. Um, I should. Uh, it was Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay. Um, or Bureau of Econ- Bureau of Economic Statistics, right? Whatever, whatever okay. the body that that blesses recessions. Um, <laughs> you are a recession. Right. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> All righty. Let's talk. Let's talk about the big news. It is a pretty good bet that if you're a listener to this podcast, you know over the your your Twitter feed, your LinkedIn feed, your whatever feed was probably filled up uh, about a week ago with uh, inbound this, inbound that. So uh, HubSpot held the their first ever um, like I don't want to call it virtual inbound because it was really inbound, like it really happened. It wasn't you know it wasn't virtual reality or anything it was reality but but uh so we will call it distributed inbound remote inbound how about that Mike? remote inbound there you go i like that remote inbound remote inbound what'd you think man i mean they they really did like for the most part knock it out of the park with the short time frame they had to put it together like i i can only imagine how many people just everything it took to put that whole thing um put that, put the whole thing together and, and, and just produce what they did. You know, I mean, they, 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 they are likely a case study for, it'll be interesting to see how AWS does theirs. Um, it, it, they really should just be a case study of, of, of how to put one of these events on. Obviously there were some, you know, learning curves to, to, to be had with, uh, with the software that they chose to put it on. But overall I thought it was a, it was a great event. There were some, there were some really good uh, keynotes that I enjoyed. Happy to get into those. I'm sure we will. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good. You know, I, I think, I think HubSpot did a lot, a, a large segment of the world, a tremendous service. This was the first virtual conference that I saw where they actually. Um, I'd see, I've seen, I was, a, I'm aware of some smaller um, virtual get togethers or whatever that, that, that kind of played outside of just the normal um, be on zoom, et cetera. But, you know, but th- this was the first one that I'm aware of at least that really embraced the, the, the virtualness of it and um, did a few, you know, shook up the whole lineup, changed what the speaker setup was, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that like, it's interesting because yeah, case study on one hand, but on the other hand, I think that like if you're AWS, I think you got a tremendous benefit if you paid attention to what HubSpot did because just the conception of that and the execution gives you such a head start to be able to look at that and say, oh, I would have done this differently or hey, if we could do that. Or, yeah, no, like, it's a, it was a right. learning, yeah, no, right. learning opportunity right. for any but, organization that wants to put something on somewhere. Like, like I think the biggest miss and I've seen it across every virtual conference of any type anywhere is there is one thing that, that, that remote has an advantage of over real life. And that is you can be asynchronous, right? So like if you're at a conference, it's you're there, you're in a session, you're not in a session. It, it is what it is. Um, with remote, there's more of a natural asynchronous and, and, and they did that a little bit. It actually was weird for me um, because the, the, the speaker sessions were pre-recorded. Right. right? So, 
So I and did they spread that them session. out over a long period of time. Right. So I did that session. I recorded my video 45, 60 days ago, like a month and a half, two months ago, which, which was somewhat interesting for me because, um, you know, we were, my session was about RevOps and, you know, all the stuff we've been doing on RevOps. So, I mean, we've, we've continued to refine and move forward since I recorded that. And, um, you know, on one hand, I was very happy with how well it stood up to what I said 60 days ago and what we're saying today. On the other hand, there were a couple of places where I was like, oh, we're not saying that anymore. We've, you know, we, we, we've changed it to this. So, so how fast the world's moving today. So, so there was an asynchronous component to that. By the way, the tough thing was, and I think you'll appreciate that having, having spoken, is, you know, usually you make a presentation of some form. Um, it could be long, could be short before you start getting Q&A. What was interesting is that the presentation was recorded, the Q&A was live. And so you come in with like a cold open on Q&A, right. right? And so when you're given a presentation, you've kind of, you found your rhythm, right? You kind of get that going. And, and you also, in some way, shape or form, at least for me, you, you, you found your theme. Like I could give the same deck 50 days in a row. I'd never give the same presentation um, it could be the look on someone's face or something I saw on TV the night before. Something would connect that I connect that I would tell a different story or this. Speed up, and, speed up, slow down, depending on right. the, the and, language of the audience. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and you kind of find that, you know, you, you, you kind of get, there's some arc that comes that you get some central point in your head and you just like, you trace everything back to that point. Well, well, the, I started answering questions. Right. And first off I had like no rhythm yet because I, I just started speaking. And, you know, you're having to read the question, by the way, you have to read the question, remember to restate the question, then you try to, um, right, it's, and so you're doing all that, now you're talking at the same time, well, you're also trying to figure out what the next question you're going to answer is, because I, I mean, what I didn't want to do was answer a question and then go, okay, hmm, let's see, what question do I want to, let's, let's see, let's right. see. Which one do right? I want to, which one do I want right. to answer? <laughs> and, and, and there had been no theme for me, like in my head, I know there was a theme in the, in the video, but you know, so it was actually like this really, really weird experience, um, you know, to, to, to do that. But yeah, I, I think that, that it, it's amazing to me because I have to, I can't imagine the money that was spent on that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I have to think it was less than the cost of inbound, right? Um, although, although you, you know, you, you have a lot of dev, but I, I don't know, right? I don't. Right. I mean, I mean, clearly they use somebody else's virtual platform, but at the no. same time, you have a no. lot of sponsors. So they no. built that whole virtual. They platform built that from scratch. Own. Yeah, they built that. Really? That's one of that's one of the things I'm saying about the service of it is they built that thing from scratch, and now everyone gets to look at 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 that and go, "Huh, I like that. I didn't like this." You know. By the way, from day one to day two, they fixed a major glitch. So. They, they had um, programmed it so that, you know, every chat, you'd see the most recent chat. And the question would keep recycling so that the high, I think it automatically sorted the upvote or, well, the problem was if you, if you were watching in the first session, like if you had to answer the question, you couldn't read the question because it kept jumping because questions were coming in too fast or chats were coming in too fast that the thing kept resetting, right? So you couldn't follow hmm. anything from, from day one to day two, because I was watching it on day one going, the hell am I going to answer any questions? You know, what, what in the world? Um, and then they, you know, they fixed it so that it was static. And if you wanted to reorder it in any way, you had to, you know, click on the, 
the, you know, the filter thing. Yeah, so they built that thing from scratch. That 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 that's what I'm saying. That's actually like, fa- that that that's fascinating. And and I, mean, I talk I'd about lo- talk about their product for next year if if you we're know, still living in this <laughs> yeah that's right remote world conference hub coming in yeah. 2021. Right. Um, you know in in um, in inbound where they clearly spend like I, I have no I, I have a feel of how much money they spend for inbound but you know and, and <clears throat> I know sometimes I wonder like how how do you spend that kind of money for um, for inbound, and, and and anybody who thinks that that the fees that you're paying for inbound pay for inbound, you're you're smoking something. Not at all, right? But but what I know is that is like, you know, close business central. Like they generate, I <clears throat> they generate a a meaningful percentage of revenue in the three days, four days of inbound. Um, actually, I was talking to some of their sales reps, and they're like, "Yeah, this is the first inbound I'm actually gonna be able to look at." Usually, I'm in, you know some corner, you know, in meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to close business. But you like, you know, that's not happening in this one. Like there, there's no, you know, HubSpot Central where they've got, hey, while you're here, let's sit down and talk, right? Where you're in meeting right. after meeting after meeting and, ha- and Brian Halligan goes from room to room to room to bring in the CEO love and close the deal. Like I can't, I can't imagine any of that happening, right? So I, I, I'd love to learn more about the business case behind that and, and, and where it connects. And I'm also curious, does it ultimately have an impact on revenue? Right. Like, cause like that's a, if I was a sales rep, I'd be, I mean, I would have six months ago, I would have been just like in, in the, you know, depth of depression that like, you know, that event. My biggest just event major, is just, yeah. right, it's, yeah. it's gone. It's and then, you know, I, I do plan <clears> to talk to some folks that were sponsors this year to see what their take was. Because, I mean, that's been a revenue, it's been a brand recognition uh, thing for us. I mean, we've sponsored it three times. We've definitely, it's been a revenue driver for us. Even, you know, people that have seen us three years ago, they're like, yeah, we've been looking at you guys. And we remember seeing you at Inbound three years ago. So, so- so I'm, I'm, I'm going to circle to that because that, that, but what were your big, like, so you, 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 you saw some of the keynotes, you saw some of the sessions. What, what were your, yeah, I mean, so well, I, mean, I, I don't want to say like, Hey, this, this was like an ideal situation, but I'll, I'll talk about what I didn't or what I, what I didn't like um, is one, it, it was remote. You, you made an awesome point and I've said it multiple times to people um, um, over the past couple of weeks when we had Tyler Bassard on from Vidyard, we're, we're 3D creatures, man. We're not, we're not 2D. Um, and the whole virtualness of it, like inbounds a place where we connect with not only customers, but friends and, um, you know, have a good time. And that's where relationships are really built and formed. And as somebody that, you know, I'm in chat sessions that I, I got involved in and, you know, it's like, oh, I got to be very careful about what I say, like, you know, just to not, you know, become across too salesy. Whereas if I'm an inbound, I can have a little bit more, like read the body language of an individual, whether or not there's some, you know, some interest in, should we continue this conversation? Um, so that part of it to me sucked. Um, and what were your highlights? That, that that, that 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 part was a was a disappointment um as far as like the highlights were it, like you said it was asynchronous 
um, where I could come in, I could leave, I could see if I was interested in a topic or not. Well, I can do that in, in person. I also know what it feels like to be a speaker and people are getting up or coming in, you know, it's like that, that goes like noticed it. by, that, that, that gets know, noticed by the speaker. You know, Mike, that's not true. Cause they had in the upper right corner, they had how many people were attending. Uh, well, so you I, could I, see I the number, you okay. could see the number go up. And you yeah, but like you said, your, one of your sessions was pre-recorded. The other one was live. Yeah, but it was like, well, no, half was pre-recorded, half was live. The Q&A part was live. Right, right. right. But so, so, I mean, how do you think I felt when like there were a thousand people in the room when my session started and by the time I got to Q&A, there were like three people in the room. <laughs> I mean, that made, that made me feel like bad. you normally do. That's, you know. Yeah, but you, like, I thought I wasn't going to have to see no, I get it. So, right. So I, I that part of it. Now I wasn't engaged for the full two days. There was a couple sessions that I wanted to like watch, um, and I thought the uh, product spotlight with Darmesh, um, uh, O'Donnell, and um, Halligan was incredibly produced. Um, and not to, God, and I, I hate doing this because I, I know what comes along with it, but you're in George's presentation was just, like, it was, it was awesome. Um, every, like I was just, the debate was just so funny. Um, and there were just so many good topics across the board. And then ultimately at the end of it, I, I couldn't help but laugh when I looked at when they were deciding who the winner of the debate was, it was a dead tie. I don't know after the fact if that ever like changed, but I would assume everybody had left the room at that point, but it was a, literally a dead tie. And it's not like it was five versus five. It was hundreds versus hundreds. And so I think I was the last person in the room to leave because I was reading all the questions and I was reading all the chat. And when I left, it was 286 to 286. And yeah. before I left, I went ahead and upvoted outbound. Upvoted. <laughs> 286 outbound once. <laughs> you upvoted yourself. <laughs> I thought that was an, an outbound thing to do. Yeah, that's a, um, that is genius. Um, any, any, um, any big takeaways? Any ahas? Any. Um, I mean, Takeaways, I mean, HubSpot's just continuous, continuously investing um, in product. I think they're making some great strides um, just really across the board. What What do you think of the product announcements? So Sales Hub, uh, some interesting stuff in there with regards to, you know, updates to, to sequences, which have, I mean, you and I have talked about that before. We like we've built workflows in marketing to make up for the lack of things that are happening in sequences. Um, so I was, I was super happy to see some of that with regards to like tasks that you can create. Um, on the marketing hub, there wasn't, uh, there, there wasn't any like aha moments with the exception of which for us is quite huge as a, as a growing business and somebody that does performs both outbound and inbound sales. One of the biggest frustrations I've had over the years has been, I really want to keep these communications in HubSpot, but 
I don't have the, even though the guy's conversing with me, I don't have the permission to, to start sending him marketing emails. It's not like he, he, he signed up. So I have deleted those and I have to use my inbox to, to, to manage those types of accounts um, where I'm doing more outbound efforts. And the fact that they're moving uh, towards contact-based pricing for marketing, I, I, I couldn't have been, for me, that was a big, big, big. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I'm bummed about that. Okay. Because, because um, I go back to, I bought, when, you know, before HubSpot had enterprise, they had small, medium, and large. You buy HubSpot small, HubSpot medium, HubSpot large. So I bought HubSpot large. And with HubSpot large came unlimited contacts. So I have unlimited contacts. I'm in a, and so now, so now I, I got unlimited contacts too. Now, so. Right. And, and so I, I, you know, I feel like you don't something feel got, special. I feel like because you got more, something got taken away from me. Right. right Isn't right. that how we are supposed to be today? Anyway, I'm sorry. I right. probably don't want to go there. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the product is, um, you know, I, I want to, I want to be careful. I might lose my, my skeptic branding here and um, my, you know, top person of, of feedback and what's wrong with, with, with a number of my HubSpot friends. I think the, I think the product's just on fire. Um, so uh, to, to that point, <clears throat> we, had a, we, we had our weekly team call and I was talking to the guys about um, um, what was released. And just based off of that excitement, it's like, you know, we get approached by Salesforce to do stuff with them. And it's like, man, this company is just on fire. Let's just throw everything it, and, it, it like just throw everything from a development perspective on on and it, you know if there's thanks to that marketo you know look we're not going anywhere we're still going to support it but i mean hubspot's just doing so much uh to, well, to support the ecosystem you know if, if if you're in the mid market like right now i i would love to have somebody talk to me about why they're, they didn't go with HubSpot. Um, because if you're mid-market, me too. I, me too. I honestly just can't, I can't, I, I don't know. And, and by the way, there's a part of me that doesn't like that. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm saying an all HubSpot fanboy, but as a business owner, like I get worried that, that we're all in on HubSpot and you know, what if they do something that's not in our interest? What if, you know, there's, there's any million number of things that, that, you know, um, and, and, you know, so a few years ago, we started, you know, um, you know, specifically purposely going to support, you know, multiple platforms. Cause we're like, Hey, you know, they're, we're, we're advisors. We're, we're focused on, on smart growth. We, you know, we, we should be platform agnostic. We should be product agnostic. And, and I think we are product agnostic and, and platform agnostic, but like the problem is what we're able to do on HubSpot but we can get it to do for somebody. We either would not be like, literally would not be able to do that with, um, with, with anything else. Or if we were able to do it, it would be, you know, six figures of cost just to get to the point where uh, we can. And in an order of magnitude, more expensive to, 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 to get it done. Absolutely. For no other benefit. You know what? You know what I did as I was talking about this. There is one place where, um, where 
HubSpot does have, I think, have a major vulnerability for, um, for actually, so, you know, a number of mid-market companies. I don't think most of them are at a place where this would be enough to really justify it. But you, um, you can't lock things down distinctly enough in HubSpot, right? And so I think, you know, but they're investing a lot in that area. They're, they're investing a lot in the area around security of lockdown. I'm talking about, um, so, so for example. But that's one of the things. I mean, I'll, I'll, well, I'll get no. to, to you for example, but now you can do the things like audit trails, you know, all of those things. Um, I, I shouldn't say all of them, but you can do audit trails yeah. to see who access what, what they did, right. Right. You know, those types right. of things. Right. That's great. That's great for compliance, but it sucks for, for eliminating friction. Um, so for example, if I want a salesperson, man, I just said the product is on fire. Now I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, but so, so if I want, so, so like we use workflows for a lot of things, workflows trigger a whole lot of different things. Right. And so we have certain plays that require reps to enroll people into workflows and, and it's very easy to do that. Right. The problem is that to enable someone to enroll a contact into a workflow or a company or anything else. They have to have access to workflows. To workflows. And, if you have, and if you have access to workflows, you can edit workflows. Well, well, wait a second. I, I want you to have access to workflows, but that doesn't mean I want you to be able to edit them. It doesn't even I want you to be able fair to enough. access them and look at them. Right? Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, so you've got you've got those. I mean, sequences and templates. I can go in and I can change a sequence. It's a sequence that that most people are using. That maybe you like you can't. You know, so yeah, I want you to be able to create templates, but I don't want you to be able to edit every template, right? You know, or I, or like maybe so I you know, probably, edit uh, it in your email. Okay, yeah, no, absolutely. So, hey, then you got to train your staff that, hey, if you are going to edit a template, clone it. You can't. Well, one, you can't. don't do it. Well, but I, I know you can't. That's what I'm saying. It, 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 that well, doesn't see, scale. So what happens is you end up cloning it if you if you do it right. And what, and all of a sudden you just have this, like, you don't know where anything is. You, you know, you can't, it, it just becomes, you know, and again, look, I want to emphasize, I, I think the product's on fire. I think it's like as close to a no brainer decision. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll finish this segment off. Oh no, there's two things I want to talk about. So we can't finish it off. I will tell you the thing that I missed the most. I agree with you that I thought that the, um, that the spotlight, the product spotlight with, with our mesh, Brian and Christopher was, was really well done um, and was like extraordinarily welcoming. But I missed the keynotes. I missed Brian's story. I missed learning what he realized while he was driving um, to Martha's Vineyard or, or, where, or Nantucket or wherever he goes with Romeo and how he put this together and that together and, and this is that change. And I really missed Darmesh's keynote. Um, I, you know, the number of times I talk, dunk your head, aligning vectors. I mean, you know, like Darmesh's keynotes, I look forward to that like every year. And, and those two keynotes, they weren't there. We didn't, you know, like that, yeah. that's the piece that I miss the most. Um, this is about, this next thing I want to, it goes to what you were talking about. You're going to talk to sponsors. This, I think, is the biggest issue around virtual conferences. Um, and, and, it, it relates to sponsors. It relates to trade shows. 
Um, and it relates to a lot of the human factor that, that I think was missed. Um, when you're at a conference, you see people because they're there, right? The, the, the most memorable, highest value moments of any conference happen by accident. Um, when you're, like you go to, you sponsor Inbound so that you can be in Club Inbound and very few people, relatively speaking, certainly nobody that would actually matter. If, if like, if, if Club Inbound was this series of closed doors that you had to open the door, walk through a little bit of a maze and open another door and then sit down with whomever you were talking to, right? Who, you're now in their booth. No one would go to your booth in that case, right? Correct. I mean, some people would, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? So Club Inbound, people spend a lot of time in Club Inbound because you can't get into the keynote place without going through it. You can't get out going through it. People go to, like, why is the trade show always centrally located? Eh, I'm not going to any session right now, or I had to make a phone call and I'm off, oh, you know, I'll go through the trade show booth. Or there are people that you would want to see. Like maybe you're having a conversation with someone, they would go to your booth. You have all these other things. And as I'm going to booth A, because I need to talk to them, I pass 17 other things and I learn and I talk and I, et cetera. So, so you know, they did a nice little job of setting up the, the, um, um, the virtual booths, if you will. I even tried to go, I even visited a couple of the virtual booths. I found that I couldn't even like, I couldn't get myself to, to, to click the button because now it's like in, uh, like, I don't, I don't like it when I'm at a trade show and the, and whoever's repping it goes into sales mode. Oh, so how can I help you? Did you right? like, right. Well, let's have a casual it's, conversation. Right. Let's and have, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing as having chat on your website and sometimes right. like, but. And, and, and so how, so, so A, I assume, and the little bit that I've heard is, you know, there wasn't a lot of traffic for booths. There certainly wasn't traffic for booths for people that were, you know, you know, didn't have any presence or awareness. Um, what, what's the solve for that? It, it's from the, I'm, and I'm talking about it from the sponsor standpoint, but I'm also talking about it from, uh, um, well, you know, I used to go to, I, I, I mean, inbound was a business development function for me and I didn't go to develop business. It just, you know, the accidental conversations, yeah, but also just, just like, right. just also the plugins of, 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 you know, different agency owners that I talked to, et cetera. You know, there was, there, there were none of those, but you know, like Gabe and I talk, Gabe owns a um, agency for those of you who don't know. We talk, you know, we check in and talk to each other from time to time, but at inbound, we run into each other like 17 times and have a five minute conversation here and a 30 minute conversation there. And Hey, let's walk out to the food trucks. That's a half hour conversation because you got to wait in line you know, and, and let's go have some drinks, right? you know, right. whatever it might be. Yeah. And you know, yeah, you're sitting in, uh, in, in, in the lobby of the Westin. Um, that's probably what I miss the most lobby of the Westin at about one thirty in the morning. Um, <laughs> I won't bring up that story. For um, and like, what's like, how, how does that get recreated? I don't think, I mean, I don't think it does. I don't know how you recreate it. Again, it comes back to what you said. We're 3D creatures. We're not 2D. Like, I, you know, it comes back to kids not being in school. It's like, it, it's, you know, this is. See, I don't know if that's a 3D, 2D thing. Um, you know, I, I wonder, 
you know, if somebody, like somebody who's a good facilitator, if, if you started specializing in, in virtual conference interactions, like there's something to me in an idea of a, a round table topic with, with some credible um, people to initiate. Um, so, so if you attend, you know that, that you're going to get something worthwhile that could stimulate cross conversation um, that maybe you then have sub rooms or something like that to, and you almost bring in chat, you know, a chat roulette type um, idea to kind of make some things happen and, and, and allow, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's so etchy in my head, but I, I, I'm not willing to say that it can't be simulated. It might, you you'll never, it'll never be the same, but, but there's gotta be something more than, than has been done. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you don't have a solution for me. I was going to start a new business if you had one, but no, <laughs> I just, I don't know how you, no, I, I don't. I, I... Alrighty. Well, if anybody has an idea, let us know. Um, we'll bring you on. You can share it with everybody and um, who knows, maybe you'll get some funding. Cause I, I think if you can solve that problem, I think if you if can you make can progress that on problem, that, I think, I think yeah, a lot of money would flow to you. Yes. I you know agree. what? You know what? Actually, I just said that. And I think I, What if you brought a match.com type algorithm to two group sessions? That's actually a really interesting. Fuck. I just gave somebody with other people like, like I don't even know how to get started to do that. And I think that if somebody who like, the, uh, that would actually be like, what if, what if, or, I mean, well, there's, it's not only just match.com, but it's like Facebook, like, Hey, we recommend, well, that's what I'm saying. Groups. We recommend, right. No, right. Yeah. I'm saying like, like, what if you, you know, put whatever your whatever you wanted to put in, you could put in your LinkedIn profile, you could put in your Facebook profile, though. I don't know why anybody's still on Facebook. I guess they want the world to end. Yeah. Um, but you know, you could put your Facebook, you could, you could give them your blog feed. You could, um, yeah, you know, make as much you want public or not public to put together this this profile of, um, and 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 match up for like I bet you that's something that like that yeah there there you go who's who's I want a royalty I want a royalty for that <laughs> that's that's an expensive uh, product to build but but you know what I don't know that it is because because isn't it already kind of there. Like, isn't that what Match.com does? Yeah, but do you know how many millions and millions and millions of dollars have gone into hundreds of millions, probably, in right. research and development? Right, but that research and development oh, has been done already. Yeah, but it's owned by it's owned by Match.com. Okay, so there you go, Match.com. I want a royalty. You could like yes, have a okay. BDF there you go. Okay, then I didn't go say you'd have to match. Right. Alrighty. Alrighty. Hmm. Hmm. Oh yeah. How's everybody doing? All right, Hannah, what's our question this week? All right. Your guys' question this week is, 
I'm a marketer and I attended Inbound last week. A lot of the conversation focused on creating better alignment between marketing and sales. I hear this a lot. I think my company does a pretty good job as we all get along, but I also know that we should be doing much better. Here's my question. I hear a lot of talk about alignment, but not much about what really needs to be done. What should we be doing to create better marketing and sales alignment? There you go, Mike. That's a simple question. Yeah, we get it, get it all the time. Um, it, it's, it still kind of amazes me that, the, that, that this comes up so, so much. Um, I mean, it's been talked about for years, sales and marketing alignment. I mean, you know, I think people are looking for some type of, some people are looking for a silver bullet. I mean, there's obviously tactics that you can take. And some of those tactics don't actually require you to do a hell of a lot. One, if you're a salesperson, bring marketing onto the actual physical calls with you. Bring them on to, you know, both pre-sales, post-sales support calls. Let them actually hear and ask questions. Um, if we were still in, a, in, a, in an office environment, you know, it, you're already creating a physical barrier in most companies where the marketing team is over, you know, on one side of the floor, the sales team is on the other side of the floor. It might be on, you know, totally different floors. You need to integrate them 100% together so that they can hear what each of them are doing, what each of them are talking about, their ideas, et cetera. This whole once a week sales and marketing alignment meeting is really going to do nothing for you because you need the, you know, the troops on the ground really interacting with one another versus, and again, you can be best friends, that doesn't mean you interact with one another um, to get your job done. So, I mean, those are two very simple tactics that I think you can take. So, I don't think that does anything. It does. I don't think it does. All right, well, it, it, expand. Um, I think it goes back to what you said earlier. Because um, if that really did anything, um, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But you got me a little bit nervous when you said, um, let, let marketing people join you on calls, let them ask questions. That got me a little bit nervous as a salesperson, I'm not going to lie. Um, no, but it, it, well, if, if it's in a post-sales opportunity or if it's post-sales and you, I mean, what's, what's wrong with that so, if, if the sale's already been made? Okay, post-sale. Okay, fine. Um, what, what's a salesperson doing talking to somebody after the salesman made? I'm confused. I'm just kidding. That's just a joke, everybody. It's an outbound joke. Um, still, still getting down from the debate last week. <laughs> I mean, I used to bring marketing, like everybody from like people that were writing product marketing or product marketers all the way to our CMO to face-to-face -face customer meetings. Cause I wanted them to hear the questions that people were asking um, so that they could try to facilitate our messaging around it. And how um, frustrated did you get that you brought marketers there and they still didn't get it? They were still going off in some other direction that didn't make but sense. That, but in, certain, in, in those instances where the company embraced that and they would actually fly people to come to those meetings, it was incredibly successful. Yeah, in the short term, um, whoops. Hit, a, hit the wrong button. So, so let, let, let's go back to the, to the point of 
we've been talking about sales and marketing alignment for decades. Yeah. Um, and we're still talking about. Yes, there's also the, there's also the, the, I mean, the other problem with sales and marketing alignment is the attribution. Marketer says, well, that lead came from me. Sales rep says, no, that lead came from me. You know, <laughs> so. Okay. So let's go back to, as you said, we've been talking about sales and marketing alignment for decades and we don't seem to be making a whole lot of progress. Correct. Right. Um, what if they're not supposed to be aligned? Right. And, and, and I'll, I'll share what I shared on my RevOps presentation last week. Alignment is the byproduct. It's not the, it's not the objective. It's not the input. It's the output. Right. Um, I think fundamentally the problem is that, that the misalignment is actually where the beauty is. It, 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 it's where the opportunity is. The difficulty is, is that marketing speaks one language and sales speaks another language. Marketing has one viewpoint. Sales has a different viewpoint. And so the problem is if you expose two people with different viewpoints to the exact same information, they will intake it, manipulate it, manage it, consolidate it, apply it in, in very, very different ways. And you will look and say, were these two people in the same room? And you'll be, the answer is no, they were not in the same room because nobody hears what's said. We only hear what's heard, right? You don't even hear what you say. You only hear what you heard you say, if that makes sense, right? Yep. And so, so our, our brains are actually programmed to look for and find the things based upon the beliefs that we already have. Um, and, and we're really good at thinking that our, that our conscious mind is the Oval Office, you know, giving the orders, when in reality, it's the press office rationalizing the order that was given, right? Um, and, and so the, I think that the fundamental problem is that marketing and sales work off of two distinctly different maps. Um, and, and so with those maps, that's where, that's where you get craziness. So, so marketing by definition is looking up and out. Sales is looking down and in right? Sales is about the next 90 days. It's about the revenue. It's about, does it close? Marketing is like, I'm going to oversimplify this a lot, but, but marketing, good marketing is heavily based in theory because you're building scalability. You're building repetition. You're building growth. Sales is about um, reality. Marketing is about the golfer on the, on the driving range. <laughs> <laughs> you just made a shitload of friends on that one. Well, but see, but no, but, they but, need to... no, but I'm, I'm, I'm totally good with you. I'm just making a comment, okay. like but, but a, a joking comment, but keep going. The, the next analogy is going to really fit it, right? So, so marketing is in many ways, the golfer on the drive, the professional golfer on the driving range sales is the professional golfer on the course. Right. And so when you're a golfer and you're on the golf course, your goal is get that ball in the hole in the fewest number of, of strokes possible. When you're on the range, it's get the right swing, right? And so if you're slicing the hell out of a ball on the range, I'm sorry, if you're slicing the hell of the ball on the course, then go yeah, ahead and trouble. turn whatever number of degrees you have to turn, no matter how bad it is and no matter how much it's like, well, you know, if you do that, you're not going to win the member guest tournament. Your stroke's not going to hold up to the member guest tournament. Guess what? Who gives a fuck about the member guest tournament? That's four weeks from now. I'm, you know, I'm in a $2 Nassau right now. 
right? And right, and 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 so you know, right? So, am I am I wrong? No, I, the analogy is awesome. Right, right. And so, if you don't work on the range and think bigger and look longer, then then your stroke's never going to get any better, and it's not, and you're going to get worse and worse and worse, and you won't, you'll never win your two dollar Nassau. You won't even be allowed to play in the member guest tournament. Hell, they'll kick you out of the club because you're so bad, <laughs> right? But if all you did, and, and, and you know, like I'm not a good golfer. You're probably a pretty good golfer. Um, you know, you got, you got the driving range champions, right? They're, they're oh, champions. absolutely, right. They're long, great, range, and, long drive champions. Okay. They, they get them out on a course. They can't do and, shit. And, 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 and so, and so that, that, that balance is, is an important piece. And so that different mindset, that different approach – like that's where the genius is. So, so, you know, we talk about diversity and the thing that's really interesting is diversity is great for exceptional outcomes and it sucks for non-exceptional outcomes for normal outcomes, right? If you want normalcy, don't have a lot of diversity, have a lot of sameness and you'll be very normal. If you want exception, if you want extraordinary, that's actually the word I was looking for. Diversity is, is perfect, is, is required for extraordinary. Diversity is bad for ordinary, right? But we forget something about extraordinary. There's two types of extraordinary. There's the good extraordinary and there's the bad extraordinary. And diversity is really good for both of them. As a matter of fact, diversity not managed actively, you will get bad outcomes because it'll become, you know, it'll, it'll become war basically. Yeah. Wild, wild west. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yep. Be because you've got, you know, because the nature of the different outcomes and the beliefs and things like that, and, and, you know, mixed with any degree of passion leads to craziness. Right. So what do you need to bring that together? You need a framework. And I don't mean to make, I don't mean to get all commercial, et cetera, but you know, like we realized this about a year ago. Um, and that's why we created the deals framework. Right, the, the, the deals framework, and, and Hannah, make sure you put the link and the, the framework on, in, in the show notes so people can see this. But you know, the, the, the deals framework is really built to take, I don't care what your tactic is, right? Inbound, outbound. Like the problem with inbound and outbound, um, you know, it, it was a really fun debate. And we had two people who believed in both inbound and outbound, right? That, 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 that's what made it work. But you got a lot of people, as you saw in the comments or in the chat, that, that believe in one or the other. One or the other, right. And it's right. not one right. or the other. And, and, and so, you know, the, the difficulty with that is if you've got the outbound belief mindset, then, all you, then everything's filtered through that versus the end. And, and you'll never get along. But when you begin to look at the framework and so the tactic becomes less important, like the journey becomes less important than the destination. How we get there, you know, I've talked to you, I used to talk to you with, with baseball. You had, you know, the understanding the mechanics of the swing and the swing path are what enable baseball players to be baseball players. I don't care how you get your hands to this point. I just care that they're there, that they're at this point, at this timing in the swing. And whatever you have to do to get there, that's all on you, right? And that's why a swing is unique. And so like the difficulty is marketing says, hey, we just heard about um, segment Y, right? That, that's a really hot topic, right? Our, our strategy said segment Y is the growth market. So we start creating content for segment Y. We start doing X, we start doing Y, we, we do webinars, all these things come around segment Y. 
Then you look at the, the target accounts, if there are actually identified target accounts, but whether you identify them or not, there's, you know, look at the accounts where sales reps are spending their time and you find that 3% of accounts, 3% 3 of account time from salespeople is spent on segment Y, right? Well, who was wrong there? And like clearly marketing does a big thing on segment Y. Sales is spending two to 3% of their time on segment Y. There's clearly something wrong there. Right? Whose fault is I'm that? I'm following. Right? It could be everybody's fault. It could be marketing's fault because it wasn't paying attention to what sales was doing. It could be sales's fault, and I've seen it. The sales team comes around, you have your marketing meeting, you talk about segment Y, and sales people are like, yeah, it's this, yeah, this. Right? But nothing happens because you're spending two to three percent of your time on segment Y. So marketing goes, we're creating all this content, we're doing all this, we're busting our ass. And like we, we're, we're, we're generating leads. What sales do? But like, they're just ignoring it. Like what's the, like, un, unless you get it, you know, order ready, sales isn't going to pay attention, right? And sales is going, you know, we spent all this time talking to marketing. We did all this. I had them come on sales calls and, and they're creating all like this fluffy content. How's that going to help? How's that helping me make a sale? Well, well, wait a second. Like if you haven't identified, here are the target accounts, Right. This is where our sales team is spending their time. And I'll tell you, if you don't do that with a sales team, a sales team will spend its time at the point of receptivity, which means, you know, how many companies in their sales and marketing strategy aren't looking to change or transform in some fashion, right? They're looking to change the course in some fashion. Well, the path yep. of least resistance is responding to, to the reactive, which by the way, through no fault of their own, salespeople are in massive reactive loops. It's, it's, virtually unfair to ask salespeople to be proactive because the reactive nature of what's going on is so mind boggling. And so what happens is your history continues to reinforce yourself. And I keep spending more and more time because that's where gravity is. So we have this, you know, strategy to generate acts. Okay, great. Let's take a look at target accounts. Okay. We need 25% of our target accounts to be in segment Y or 10% or 15%. Or I don't care. Right. We should, be, we, should, we should be able to tell marketing, marketing of the target accounts that we have, that sales is responsible for spending, you know, 80% of their proactive time and 60% of their total sales time has X percent in segment Y, you know, Z percent in segment K, right? You know, um, these are the, you know, of these people, you know, here, here's the makeup of our target accounts. And so now sales and marketing goes, okay, we know who we're going after at the same time. And where journey mapping can get simplified and needs to, like the problem with a funnel and a flywheel is they're both far too broad. They're, they're great metaphors for motion, but they're not operational enough. You need the roadmap that says, okay, so marketing's getting to here and what's the orchestration with how you know, sales and marketing work together. And then what's the next, right? And as you get that same framework, now we've got a clear model that says to sales and says to marketing, here's where it is. So you remember the, um, the article I did on the three motions of the enterprise sale? Yeah. So, so what I've actually begun to talk about now is there are three distinct cycles in large and or complex sales. Cycle one is an awareness and engagement cycle. The job there is to create awareness of each other and awareness of the issues, right? And that has a certain element of, of play 
and, and a certain orientation that's needed. And, and the right marketing content is different than in other places. There is sales activity, who owns it, who owns what part of it, what's the contribution, how do we come together? That's cycle one. Cycle two is the consideration cycle. That's where the company begins to decide, is this real? Is this something that we're actually gonna think about and really do, right? How much energy do we wanna put into being able to figure it out? Is, is the juice worth the squeeze to figure out if the juice is worth the squeeze? If, you know, <laughs> you know, and you know what I mean? Like, that sounds no. silly, but- No, you know, it's true, right. So, someone comes to me and tells me, Doug, we got this problem. I go, okay, well, what's the solution? I don't know, it's gonna take, you know, we got some figuring out to do. Okay, well, what's involved in figuring it out? You know, three minutes later, I'm like, okay, hold on a second. How big is the problem? Well, well, I don't, I don't really know. I said, I'll tell you what, when you're ready to tell me how big the problem is, then I'll be ready to talk to you about what we're willing to do to figure out if we can solve that problem. But, but I'm sure as heck not going to take, you know, 10 hours to solve a one hour problem. If, if you get what I'm saying. Right. So that's yep. the consideration cycle. Cause remember there's a thousand things that are going on while, while we're, while we're doing all this. Right. I mean, in, in, in a company's world, you, we as sellers and marketers, you know, see the world through this lens of it's just us. I don't understand why they're not responding to me. Well, because they've got 72 responses from other salespeople, other, not right, even competitive. My, right. Yep. Like not even right, competitive. Exactly. Let, right. Let, let alone they've got 360 Slack messages from their boss, 1,072 from the people that work for them. The outside vendor that's responsible for a key initiative has just told them that we're out of blue. Right. And we're 50 going from, 50, 50 from their significant other and 387 from their right. uh, head baseball coach about the game tonight. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and we're going, how, how disrespectful. Why aren't they responding to me? Right. right. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the third cycle is the decision cycle. So, so, by the way, the sales actions and the marketing actions at those three cycles are all very different things. So, marketing hears this. And you know what? Marketing naturally thinks awareness cycle. Sales naturally thinks decision cycle, right? And so if you don't have that framework to understand what are you addressing, why are you addressing it, you can't have, you can't come close to um, alignment. Because what alignment really is, is it's about aligning vectors. It's about, it's about gaining velocity more than you're gaining speed. I think like that's the output of, of, of alignment. When your velocity, when your increase in velocity is greater than your increase in speed, you go around the world telling everybody that we've got alignment, right? And you can't do that if you don't have that framework. And I think that's the element that has, you know, it's like quantum mechanics versus, you know, you know, the whole unifying theory. I'm going blank. I'm, I'm ready to lose it all. <laughs> right? and, and, and so like, like that, that, that's deep hard work to talk about what is the awareness cycle? What's happening in the awareness cycle? What's happening in the consideration cycle? What's happening in the decision cycle? What's our framework? So we're all looking and reading off the same map. That is, I think, the key to creating this thing that we call sales and marketing alignment. And I think when you have it, 90% of the sales and marketing alignment bitches go away. And when you don't have it, you're just pissing in the wind to try to solve it. How's that? So, no, I, I, that, that, like, you've, rather than me thinking of tactics, that, that actually was... Uh, was quite awesome. Here's a question that I have for you. And I'm sure um, my mom will as well, since she's listening. Um, who, who in the organization is responsible for that? 
Um, who who run, who runs the charge on that? one who and the reason I I think you bring up a phenomenal and you know fascinating what? argument, but my question is after hearing all of that, which has me rethinking some things, who in the organization takes ownership of that? And this is another very big challenge. It's not okay. So we can say, well, the CRO does or the RevOps VP or whatever, whatever it might be, takes ownership of it. But how many people actually have the experience to do something like that? Yeah, I don't think. Uh, well, so first off, steal the deals framework. Um, you know, if you don't have one, steal the deals framework. That's what we create. That's why I give it away for free. We're actually coming out with a new piece on. You know, I have a friend who's like, well, "You're going to give that away?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's you know, let's make the world better." Um, because, you know, the truth is, once you understand a framework, the stuff we do actually really begins to, you know, really make sense. You know, it, it, I think that's an unfair question because I don't think, I don't think that, that the operations podcast is talking about operations alignment, that we can't get this group with that group. I don't think the, the manufacturing line is having a problem. And how the manufacturing line is a hell of a lot more complicated because a third of your manufacturing is in India, a third is in China, a tenth is in Guadalajara, 20% is in the United States right? You've got all these things going all over the place and, and they don't have that problem because they have a framework, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, there's a roadmap, there's a framework and who's responsible for it. Well, that's very organizational culture-ish. Like, so like, I don't, because it's no, easy no, to I, say. I, I, agree, I agree. It is very organized, but right? I, like. So, so here's the question. Here's the question. I, like own, own it. Like I, you know, uh, um, to at least, and, I, and it isn't. And you're right. It isn't a fair question if we look at it from got, a broad stroke. But in a, I got a, in a tech company answer. versus software company answer. versus, I have an answer. Okay, I have an answer. You have an answer who for owns, everything. It's always who owns strategy. Who who owns the strategy of the company? Like, and, and and by the way, when I say that, if if you if you like take the deals framework or or make one up yourself, then it's everybody's job to own it, because because if everyone doesn't own it, then it's not real, and if you have it. Like, it's not a roadmap that's like, like we, we all have our GPS and we know when we need to make a change from our GPS and we adjust it, right? And so as you're learning it, what, what, what the framework does is, it, is it, it's a single sheet of music, right? We're all playing the same score. Um, and, you know, and the, the reality is business today is far, far more like jazz than it is like classical music. Yeah. And, and so how do they stay in alignment? Well, well, they all have an understanding of what the framework is. And so this jazz musician comes into that jazz musician and they have this whole shorthand language to get an understanding of who's who, what's what. And before you know it, two people that never played together are producing magic. Why? Because they have a framework. And so I yeah. don't think that people don't lack the sophistication. I think they lack the start. And I think what we do is we jump into tactics. I know you got to go. We got it. We're running out of time. We got one last segment. I got one last sound effect for you. I told you I was going to have more, more uh, special effects for you today. I know. I love it. By the way, did you like our intro music today? Yes. All right, Mike, last section. What is your key takeaway, your key prediction? <gasps> Why don't you go first? Nope. That's not how this game plays. You got to go first. <laughs> you asked the question. <laughs> Key I have takeaway, sound key prediction. I think we're yeah, no, that that okay. So key takeaway, key prediction. Um I think just well, I mean obviously everybody knows that, or at least I think everybody knows this. I mean HubSpot's just gonna 
they're going to grow like crazy over the next few months. Artie. Bad prediction. I know. Wasn't very unique. I should have thought about that beforehand. I'll, I'll come better prepared next time. Here, 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 here's my prediction. So last numbers I saw was uh, Q2 GDP was down 31%. Um, the expectation for Q3s is going to be up 30%. A whole bunch of people are going to go, oh, wow, we recovered. Except I'll remind everybody that if you're up 31%, I mean, if you're down 31% and then you're up 30%, net you're down, I think it's 10 to 11%. So if I told you yeah. over a six-month period of time, GDP would be down 10 to 11%, we'd be like, oh, shit. Um, I think that there's a double dip coming in the next nine months. I would say Q1, Q2. Um, for two reasons. I think, A, we really haven't felt the, the ricochet effect of this. There's still massive amount of money going in, um, you know, that's it, it, been in the markets. I think that the, um, you see B2C companies that, that have been suffering far, far more than B2B companies. So there's a, um, there, there's a drag on that. That being said, I do think that there will be very good opportunities for growth for mid-market companies, but I do think now is the time like I, I think it is really important to go in and tighten your positioning. I think it's really important to go in and, and refresh and tighten your value proposition um, because I think um, I think that that 2021 is going to be far more similar to 2009. I think it was to 2009 than 2020 was like 2020 has been a total fuck job of a year. Make no mistake about it. Right. I'm not saying that there's anything positive that's come out of 2020. Right. Um, although some people had kids and some people got married. So I'm sure that that's positive for them. Um, at least right now. <laughs> but, but I think, I, I think, I think, you know, I think, I think everybody was like waiting for this shoe to drop. And I think that, that 2021 is, is really where, where um, I think it's going to be hard. Because I think it's, it's not going to be as crazy. Um, so there's not going to have that same adrenaline. And so, you know, now's the time to get really focused and really clear. By the way, the good news on this prediction is if I'm wrong and you do what I said, um, you'll just end up being that much better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but I do think, like, I worry, uh, you know, this whole K recovery, I think it's 100% true. And I think we got a whole bunch of people that own mid-markets who are like, you know, we had our PPP, we had our this. We're like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm all that, you know. Uh, and we don't realize that Jeff Bezos has been just, like, sucking every piece of, of foundation away from us as Amazon continues to. Continues its uh, and, and the world micro, domination. Like, you know. And, and we're all on this big tech, yay, this. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's. Um, and I think and on, on the Jeff Bezos note, Google, obviously we, we all know they're assholes, but they just came out with an announcement that all in-app purchases for anything in the Chrome store, they're going to start taking 30% of. I'm like. Well, they've always been taking 30%. No, they have not. From only certain, from only certain types of uh, Chrome vendors. So anyways, um, that's my prediction. Um, I think I think we're I think we've got um, a real double dip coming, um, and and I think that uh, those who who have used this year as a um, as a means to get more focused and 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 to strengthen their strengths um, are going to reap the reward of it in twenty twenty one. That's my show. That's what I got. Any final thoughts? 
Any final thoughts? Uh, get it, go, go download the deals framework. There you go. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Black Line podcast. Mike has a coach at third base? Yes, sir. What's the activator? Yep. What's the activator? Oh, Brim. so it's Brim, uh, yeah. And what's the yep. steel sign? Steel is this, this, and then they go like this when they know. Remember, they're only 10. Dude, that's way too complicated. I mean, you got to, you got, it, it's activator single thing. You can't do activator this, this. Somebody's going to be sitting on the other side. They're going to be picking that shit up. Come on. <laughs> I'll tell you what, next, next episode, we will do a lesson on baseball. On sides. Love it. Until, the, until then, thanks for joining us on the Black Line Podcast.